Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Colin Quinn is the godfather of contemporary New York City comedy in more ways than one. After his first TV break as the sidekick on the 1980s MTV game show Remote Control, Quinn helped usher other comedians onto television as host of Caroline's Comedy Hour on A&E. Then a generation later as host of Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn on Comedy Central. In between, he wrote for In Living Color, co-wrote and produced the movie Celtic Pride, and became one of only a handful of comedians to anchor Weekend Update on Saturday Night Live. More recently, he's hit Broadway and HBO with his show Long Story Short, played Amy Schumer's dad in the movie Trainwreck, ran a coffee shop on the HBO series Girls, starred in his own web series Cop Show, written a book, blew up Twitter, and created two more critically acclaimed one-man shows, Unconstitutional and The New York Story, both available on Netflix. He's just filmed a new TV pilot and is hard at work on his next stage show. So let's get to it! Colin Quinn, it's uh, it's exciting to finally sit down with you with I microphones. I know it's been a long time coming, Sean. It has been. So last things first, we're sitting at the Fat Black Pussycat Lounge, where you've just wrapped up yes. the newest show you're workshopping, coming off of a triumphant Netflix special of your last yes. most recent one man show, The New York Story. How does it? How does this part of the process feel? The journey of starting back up again. It feels very. Uh very uh depressing because you're like you know you have such high goals or at least i have such high goals about what i'm trying to say so like this show right i want to talk about this i want to talk about systems so i want to talk about the system like what's a system you know what i mean so like like a theocracy like a monarchy like what is a system you know what i mean so trying to get to that is very hard for me in a comedic way yeah, like with, like in 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 some ways it's easy to get there, in any way, but I mean it's easy to get there with the theocracy because mm-hmm. people understand religion that you'll be the middleman for explaining something from God, but it's like you still have to. I mean, this is, put it this way: tonight's the first night I felt good about it, and I've done it probably fifteen times. Tonight's the first night I was like, I could see a glimmer of light where this could be the show. What was that glimmer? Just the fact that I was talking to some people in the audience saying, you, you would be, you would be the, the police of my society. Every society needs police. And then talking about police stuff and then going back and then going, you would be, you know, you would be the messenger or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Like those are, they're like just to assign all these different jobs to each society and try to figure it out. You know right. Because I mean? systems are all about order. Yes, yeah, systems Intr- are about figuring out order, so there's not chaos. And- that even 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 the worst dictators in the world, they still want people to be satisfied with what they're doing. Right. They want people to think they're good at their job. They might they might not want it. For, they might want it in unhealthy ways, but they still want people to go. He's great at what he does. I don't care who it is. You know what I mean? Stalin, anybody. They still want to be like I was good at what I did. Yeah. You know, nobody's nobody's trying to be inefficient or nobody's trying to be a failure well we all have egos 
And we all have egos. Yeah, yeah. ego's a big thing. Well, I was I was I was rewatching the documentary comedian earlier today, and that, in effect, was speaking of egos, <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> but you know, at the heart of that was was Jerry rebuilding from scratch. Yes, an hour. Yes, and you were his conciliere. And at is the that, time, is that how you say that in an Irish Italian? And at the time, I remember. Hello. At the time, I remember. By the way, we just got Joe's pizza. The Joe's pretty sweet. <laughs> so, but at the time of at the time of comedian when Jerry was working out his new hour and you were his counsel at the tables of the Olive yes. Tree in two thousand two thousand one. At the time, I did not understand the gravity of the situation to be Jerry and working on new material because I was like. He has so much material that he really didn't record, by the way. He's never recorded a lot of his material. I mean, he did on talk shows, mm-hmm. but he didn't record it. He's got hours that he never did. So I was like, oh, what's the big deal? Just doing new material. You know what I mean? And then for him to do that, now I, when I start doing my new stuff all the time, I'm just like, oh, such a hassle. Like, I could go out and do stand-up. Right. If I really wanted to just not do thematic stuff, I... I could do stand-up right now, you know? Right, you can hop over I, to the cellar and do 20 minutes. And you got and... your old stuff, you can put in, pick and choose, and I've done enough stand-up over the years, but it's like, when you're trying to do whatever it is you're trying to do, like the same thing he was trying to do, he's trying to build from scratch. He could have done a bunch of bits thrown together, but building from scratch is a whole other ball game. But that's what you've been doing now for the past decade. Yeah. <laughs> is that something that, that you ever imagined you would be doing? That you'd be a one-man show guy? Um... Well, I still consider it stand-up. So, to me, I'm not a one-man show guy. Right. Kind of like how Christopher Titus considers his act stand-up, but it's kind of one-man showy. Yeah. I mean, I just, I always consider it like, I never look at it like a one-man show guy, because I feel like in the world of stand-ups, that would be looked down upon. So, I refuse to allow them to throw me into, I refuse to throw myself into that category. Well, what did, <laughs> when you were growing up then... Is that is that the view you had of of a, what a one person show was when you were no when I was growing first... up there was no one man per- show you didn't right. nobody really did that stuff the first time I saw a one man show was I saw Eric Bergosian in 1985 or something like that right. do one of his one man shows and I was like that is amazing I love that so I always kind of had to, I always kind of wanted to do one man show like I did the Irish Wake which was my original one man right. show back in ninety ninety one and then ninety four and then ninety eight so that was my first one. So I did that, and it was all characters, because Eric Bogosi does all characters. So I was doing all characters. My characters are a lot more more similar than different from each other, but mm-hmm. it was still characters to me. <laughs> and um, so I'm saying, like, I love one-man show. I love, I love stand-up comedy, but I don't, I don't feel like comedy clubs. I feel like the second show in comedy clubs is the worst thing in the invention of stand-up comedy. <laughs> and I feel like the check spot is the worst thing in the invention of comedy. Those are those are systems. Yes, those are systems that have been set up. They're, they're systems that that we all. And by the way, it's all greed, but it's also greed for the comedian mm-hmm. because you're like, I hate the second show. Oh, do you want to only do one show? Well, I get paid by the second show. I might as well do it. I've got a door deal, so I've got to- right. Or even without a door deal, you do the second show, you're going to get double the money. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I hate it. Well, I'll do it, you know. But it's it's and then the, and then from the club's point of view, the check spot is. They yeah. don't want to wait until the end of the show because then they they risk not getting the customers right. before they leave. So That's right. you drop the check while they're still there. Yeah, <laughs> well, they're still in the middle of the show. But of course, the check spot always goes to the headliner, and everyone's like, "Why 
is the one person people might be there to see who's in the middle of his act have to do this. And mm-hmm. that's the hardest part. Because, you, you know, ideally you're working on a show that's going towards a climax. Right. So by the time the check was down is where you should be in like the, the second, like the, the third, fourth of that show. Right. Building up to the building climax. Building up and now the checks. And I don't give a fuck who it is. You can't stop people from going. When, you, when you're throwing money, mm-hmm. that people you're telling people you owe this much money. I don't care what's going on on stage. There's no nobody has the willpower to go. Not at least glance and go. What the fuck? Hold on. Let me see this for a second. <laughs> Wait a minute. What is this? You know is the mean? tip included in this? Yes. It's your I money. I didn't need any of the nachos. Yeah. Why do I have to pay? What the hell's going on here? So well, you don't have to worry about that at the Cherry Lane Theater. No, no, I know. Yeah, I love it. I love that kind of place. You know. So you know why? Why the stigma? About a one. Why the stigma? About a one-person show. Because the, I mean, I love doing one-people show. I love that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I but I just calling it a one-man show instead right. of stand-up. I feel like, I feel like there is a stigma to it, like as if uh, it's less than stand-up in some way. Mm. And you yet, know, and some people would say it's more than stand-up. Right, because you have structure, you have sets. Yes, and some people would say less. <laughs> well, the sets—that's a perfect. Example. You carried suitcases in yeah. your last one. I know. From the back of the stage to the front. Next thing you know, I'll be, uh, I'll be breaking out watermelons. (laughs) When, well, the first time I ever saw you was, of course, on remote control. What did you think your career was going to be at that point? Um, did you have a vision in mind of what that would lead to? No. I mean, honestly, at that point, I I was so naive about everything in show business. I was just like, oh, I'm on the show. I'll do stand-up, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I just considered myself a stand-up that was on this show having fun, you know, just being on MTV. It was so much fun back then. You well, know? you were still pretty new at it, too, right? Yeah. How, how many, how much time did you have in the game? I was probably doing stand-up for about three years at the time, maybe four years. And I, I literally could not translate to the places I was playing, you know. I'd be playing in, like, Iowa and stuff. It took me a while to really figure out how to do... I could do clubs, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't do, like, these crazy college gigs, you know? But I was doing some. So it was kind of a weird time, you know? What did the the college kids make of you as a young comic? They didn't care. They just wanted to sign... They wanted me to sign stuff after... You know, Mm -hmm. they didn't care. They're just like, hey! They didn't give a shit. Like, oh, he likes to do his thing. Mm -hmm. He likes to talk up there for a while. (laughs) But they weren't like... It wasn't a stand-up world like it is today. Like, stand-up was not... People were not conscious of stand-up other than, I'm going to laugh. Like, it was a real time for, like, a high-energy hack kind of. There was a lot of people doing it at the time. Right. It was the boom that were of good. the 80s. And there were a lot of people who were doing it that were just kind of high-energy and just screaming. And, you know, it was it was the first boom. The did end you, of the first boom. <laughs> did you feel, since you hosted one of those boom shows, Caroline's Comedy Hour, did you feel like you were witnessing the the bubble um from the i mean no i mean i just i don't know what i i don't know what i thought about i just remember loving hosting it because i got to see all these comedians that i knew every night so i loved like that i saw all my all the people i loved because mm-hmm. i just loved stand-up so much i love comedians so much that it was like it was like it was my dream was to you know just be around comedians all the time of course all those comedians were like Hoping that doing the show was going to be their big break. What I don't you... know if they thought it would be their big break, but yes, it was definitely more. It was different from now. Now, 
people doing it two years are like, yeah, I got I got a Comedy Central special, but that won't do nothing for me. Right. Like, people are much more pragmatic now. <laughs> In those days, people would think like, yeah, I was on this show, I, my big break, evening at the improv, you know. Right. Like, you would think that way more in those days. Well, right? a TV credit meant a it lot more because... <laughs> But we thought it in did. In the minds, right. We thought it did, right. <laughs> but, you know, people would be like, by that time it was already, oh, when I first started in the mid-80s, guys would say, this next person was in a so-and-so commercial. And the audience would be like, ooh, commercial, <laughs> like it was a big yeah. deal. So it was different. Yeah. <laughs> but they were still even saying that a decade ago. They were. Yeah. That's sad. The, sell, the seller would have from the 7-Up commercial. Oh, God for you. <laughs> yeah. But that was a, but that was a, uh, but that was a, um, a string, like that was a, a campaign. Right. That was different. Right, not just one ad. Right, that was spokes, like people knew. He was knew. the spokesman. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, what did, what did you, what were your hopes and, and, and goals at that time? When? In the late 80s, early 90s. Be, when you're uh, on the come up, well, to be doing what I'm doing now, in the sense of doing stand up that I that I believe in, you know, mm-hmm. like doing stand up that made sense to me, you know what I mean. So I mean, what I'm doing now was what I would, what I dreamed of be doing of doing. Okay, so doing stand up that 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 made sense to me, you know what I mean? Like, right. like my specials have all made sense to me, you know, the last three. I mean, where it's like, oh, good, this is not just me throwing out things to get a laugh it's like i'm trying to i'm trying to make sense of something right I mean? well that's yeah. kind of what sets you apart from from a lot of people right now in, in stand-up is that your last three hours were all about something they weren't just your last hour of random one-liners strung together yeah to me it's like jazz i'm just said that because i heard the horn <laughs> um but 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 my 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 point with the question though originally was it wasn't about getting on TV shows or getting into movies or even Saturday Night Live. That wasn't right. That, that wasn't, wasn't the, the no the driving all, point for you. I feel like for the, most the comedians, cash and prizes. I feel like most comedians want to get on shows just so they can do more stand up, which is the right goal. Right. Like, and that's how I felt. Like SNL, all those places. Like you wanted to keep you working as a stand up because if people don't know who you are, you can't. Work as a stand-up, mm-hmm. especially now. It's harder now than even it was back then. It was hard enough. So, like, yeah, I feel like all those shows, the goal is to be a stand-up. And those shows help you keep going out and doing gigs. Isn't that the real the real fundamental difference between New York comics and L.A. comics? Is that New York comics, the TV and movie credits are an, a means to an end of more stand-up, whereas in Hollywood, the comedians are... Are trying to get on TV. It used to be, but I mean, I feel like the leaders of that community, you know, Bill Burr, Joe Rogan, these guys are stand-ups mm-hmm. that are there to do stand-up. You know what I mean? I don't know why I made them the leaders of, but they're. <laughs> I'm saying like they're. I'll be out there this weekend and I'll verify will, that. Those guys will never write. Like they'll never stop their stand-up primary first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I mean, it used to be true about LA, yeah, definitely. Well, the the other thing that struck me about rewatching comedian today is that it 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 not only caught jerry at a moment in his career when he was starting over but it also caught you coming off as of a snl yeah but before tough crowd right and the in the in the shows that followed for you did you just tough crowd go ahead <laughs> no i mean the one that, i mean the the one-man stand-up shows oh right 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 i mean there's a before and after yeah 
for you, yeah. and comedian is kind of a dividing line for that. Yeah, you're right. That's true. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, but I, I was, uh, but I was totally um, obsessed with stand up at that time too. Oh my god! Hey, yeah. The, How are you? The villain of podcasting. Your show or it's a- it's <laughs> my show. The villain I, of podcasting is here. No. <laughs> the villain of podcasting. Yeah. Sorry, Kevin Brett. I would do your show. What am I going to, so I have to get on there and get skewered? I saw Kevin Brett on the Kevin. subway coming down you here. You did? I made the mistake of telling him I was coming to meet you. Kevin, what, what subway are you guys on? Uh, we were on the F train. The villain of podcasting. <laughs> Well, he actually he actually uh, leads me to another question I had for you, which is: It seems to me that a lot of the comedian podcasts that are out there really kind of owe a large debt to Tough Crowd in terms of getting. I don't know, but I in like terms of getting, it. <laughs> in terms of getting, I'm not gonna say no. in terms of getting two or three or four comedians together to talk smack on microphones and send it out into the yeah. World. I mean, I think I think Tough Crowd definitely was a. Uh, was a bigger influence. It was a it was a big influence in comedy. Right. I don't think it was a big influence in society. It was a big influence in comedy. <laughs> but that but that's not why you have avoided having a podcast yourself. No, I just I just I was never I never liked doing radio. Like uh, I never liked like uh, I don't know. It just doesn't feel. It doesn't. It's not something I like. Like just the idea of every day. I mean, I'm thinking of radio more than podcast. Right. I guess. But but a podcast too. Every day coming up and talking, thinking of things to talk about that I haven't talked about already it just drives me nuts. <laughs> you know? Well, I feel like it's – I just like writing other stuff. It's just not for me. Well, that's why I, I just like talking to an individual about themselves. Right. Because then it's, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world. Yeah. It's Well, how is that impacting you? How is which impacting me? Hmm? How is what impacting me? What's going on in the world? How is – I mean, what? I mean, Trump? I mean, that's the only thing anyone's talking about going on. (laughs) Well, actually, uh, considering the the content of your shows, talking about the crumbling of empires. Yeah. um, Yeah. (laughs) Talking about the constitutional foundations of society and the immigrants who have come to New York. Right. You're right. does Does it feel in retrospect that people haven't listened enough to your shows? That's interesting. I never even thought of the three of them together being a, something for right now, but yeah, I mean, well, that you were yes, trying to it, sound an alarm. No, to because that I this don't was... know that. Uh, I don't know that. Uh, like the thing I'm working on now is systems. Do they ever work? You know right. what I mean? Because before Trump or after Trump or like during any, pre- there's always people. Most people. Half the people are not fucking happy. You know what I mean? Right. And all our society, as everybody says, the richest society, like ours does better than most places. But for like two billion people of every generation live the most horrifying life. So it's like they've never had it where they're like, hey, things are really getting bad. They're like, no, things are really bad. I've been living in garbage dumps since birth to death. So things are never like, you know what I mean? Like they So, I mean, it's kind Perspective. of... Perspective. Yeah. And it's also like... I mean, it is a weird thing. You know what I mean? Like... Like, uh... Like, Trump's, like, naked, like... 
hey, I don't know anything. I don't give a shit. Like, that's a weird thing. Right. And his, but it doesn't come out of nowhere. And know? his bold, bald face yeah. assertion that he's going to blow up the system. Right. Which, I'm here to blow up the system. Which I don't even know if he could. I don't even know if he, I don't know if he could. I don't know if anybody can blow up a system. You know what I mean? I guess if anybody could, he could. <laughs> but I mean, uh, but it's it's a very it's a strange time. But it's a uh, right. You know, I mean, we'll see we'll, we'll see where it goes. It's a strange time. <laughs> it's strange. Yeah, and as and as you know, one of the things that I love most about hanging around with comedians versus regular people, I won't say civilians because then that gets us closer to the war <laughs> talk, but. Comedians have always been the ones who've spoken honestly, or at least what they believe is right. the truth. Yes, and not and not kind of hidden from it under the guise of small talk about the weather. Right. Yeah. Comedians are the ones who, who really get corner. down in the dirt and and say this is what's going on. And sure, I mean but that's I mean, that's kind of what where the genesis of Tough Crowd came from was the fact that people at that table. Spoken. We're not holding back. Right. No, exactly. About anything. And that was uh, a lot of that credit I give for keeping that alive to to uh, Patrice O'Neill and Nick DiPaolo. Because I always say these two guys, everybody was so honest in many ways, but these two guys have nothing. They have no charm. <laughs> so they had to be funny because nobody was ever, you know, like most comedians are like, I'm going to laugh. That guy's... Charming. She's got something about her. Right. That's me. Nobody looked at those two and go, that's me. They're like, what the fuck? So they had to be twice as funny to really get people on their side. <laughs> or to get people to even stay seated yeah. at the table. So I felt like uh, they had a certain, you know, but there were so many people on there trying to be real. And I mean, to my own pat on the back, my rules of tough crowd, which nobody, even these dumb comedians never realized, but I kept saying them every day. No applause from the fucking crowd. Norton noticed a lot of these. I said, no applause. If somebody says something you like in the crowd, you can't applaud. Right. I said, no, I didn't let them applaud when I came out. I said, I want to fucking hear applause. Either laugh or boo or whatever, but no fucking, I agree with you. Right. Either you're laughing at them or not. So I stopped the applause. And, um. The Bill Maher ones, hasn't done that. The other ones I forget. Was that? Bill Maher hasn't done no. that. It's, that show Nobody is full did. of applause. Is it? Yeah. yeah, I don't go for applause at comedy. Either you're laughing or not. And the other thing I forgot. But they were important. <laughs> so now that you've got the, the hang of, of this version of Colin Down, what what keeps you going in terms of like building this new hour? Well What's 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 the driving force? The driving force is I always feel like there's gotta be a way. Like, now I'm trying to do this thing about systems. So I'm saying, if I could really understand systems and do this, that could be that could be funny, mm -hmm. but, like, you know, something where I figure some... Like, I'm always trying to figure shit out. Like, with the Constitution, I really wanted to figure out the Constitution for myself. And then with New York Story, I wanted to figure out, like, how I could tell people, guess what? When I grew up, these ethnicities were the way they were and mm -hmm. I want to be able to say it. and it was funny and it wasn't fucking offensive and racist and I want to be able to say it. And then with long story short, I was like, how does the world keep messing up? How do you keep having the same results right. in every culture? 
Right. How do we keep repeating? So now I'm doing the systems thing. I'm trying to do that without repeating long story short. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's the only problem is it could be repetitive. So was it, so was it just coincidental then that from long story short to unconstitutional to New York story that you were narrowing your focus from yeah. the world to America to New York City? Well, then, yeah. I was going to do my next one was going to be about my was going to be Irish Wake, which was about my block. Right. And bring that back. So then I can really narrow it, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then just end but, with one just inside your head. Yes. <laughs> but then I just said, oh, screw it. Being Colin Quinn? No, no, that's coincidental. Okay. Because um, I know I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, maybe I'm moving towards them. <laughs> and like you said, the final one's in right. just me. But, um, but now I want to do the systems one. Okay. Because I just feel like you said, just the way the world works, it's like, how does the world work? And... I don't know, but you is know. that but is that getting to some sort of nagging curiosity you have about what's going on, and um, you, you have to figure that out? No, I, yeah, I want the solution. I want to be. I mean, in my ideal, I feel like what this show is doing. My fantasy has always been, and I feel like it's a fantasy of a lot of comedians. But you know, I mean, is my it's definitely my fantasy has always been to be like a. a like a benign dictator, you know, to just be in charge of a country right. and fucking tell people how to behave. Because dictators, I mean, leaders in, of countries, I mean, they're not usually, they're not as funny as comedians. They don't necessarily have the greatest ideas. They get their speeches written for them. So what the hell are they bringing to the table, if you really think about it, that we couldn't bring to the table, you know? Right. At least you have ideas. At least we'll be funny and we have ideas. Right. And so... So, so if I could, if if I could use this next show as an audition tape for a country, that would be my ideal. For oh, my so own, any country, not necessarily America. No, not necessarily America at all. America. Have you I, thought I, about what countries are? I have not thought about America because, if anything, America has been at best lukewarm to me. I feel right. throughout my career. So, <laughs> I'd be, I, I'd be a masochist if I kept trying to get these assholes to mm-hmm. to fucking embrace me the way they I feel they should have. So. Is that, I'll probably go somewhere else. I think Canada Canada suits me very well. <laughs> what I about like Canada? I just like doing comedy. Every time I'm there, they get every joke mm-hmm. I say. They laugh. They know when I'm being ironic. W- would your answer change if uh, L- Luncheonette gets picked up somewhere? Um, My answer changes as far as America? Yeah. No, about I mean, America they've made their feelings very clear. <laughs> I'd be... <laughs> Even if they pick up luncheonette, right? Uh, if if the whole if the country really changed their energy towards me, yes, mm-hmm. I can. I have forgiveness in my heart. Okay, but I mean, I feel like my mentality: England, Ireland, Canada. Um, these are my these are my uh, these are my countries that I okay. could probably do a good job because I can't be for. I mean, America, I could do a great job with because I understand it better than I do the other places because I lived here my whole life. But I need the people to to. Meet me halfway. Right. And so far, they haven't been So it's got to be English. So it should be English speaking then, too. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean... Because uh, you don't know any other languages, do you? Or? No, not really. Okay. I mean, Nova Scotia, if that counts as a country. I <laughs> like can do that. It's a province. It's a province, Jesus. Although some of those Canadian provinces threaten to secede, so... Yeah. Okay, uh, so there's, uh, there's a nagging sense that you need to figure things out. There is a desire for... Uh, National domination, yes. not necessarily this nation, but some nation to yes. dominate. Uh, what else gets you out of bed in the morning? 
Um, just the the challenge of of trying to, you know, if you if you try to think of something funny, like every comedian, it's so funny because every comedian when they have a new routine, like a new bit, mm-hmm. you just see they're so high, and it's so weird how you could still get high off that shit, and I still get high off it. You know what I mean? Like right. even Trump stuff, which is like the most beaten to death stuff already. It hasn't even started yet. It's already <laughs> beaten to death. But when you have a good angle on mm-hmm. Trump or you feel like you're doing something original about him, everyone, you just feel high. You just feel like everything just, whenever you get anything that's that's more than just one line, but it's a few. Right. The, it's like you discovered something that hasn't. You just feel, I don't know what it is. It's, it's a life for, it's a, it's a strange thing for comedians. But that definitely gets me out of bed in the morning. But then sometimes I also feel like, fuck are you doing you know what I mean stop aren't you sick of your voice because you know like sometimes I hear my voice and I'm being on stage and I'm like like when I was doing New York Story I was doing it every night and I was like oh my god I can't hear this fucking voice one more fucking time you know how do you power, how do you power how do you how do you power through that uh, I don't know In those moments I mean, I mean because I I don't have there's nothing else I can do you know what I mean? You could try, try one of those characters. <laughs> one of my characters? Yeah, one of your character I, voices. But even those characters, they still have my ah, underneath it. No, the characters won't work. No. I'd have to try another, a, uh, uh, you know, a monastery or something. Okay. Are there, are there other comedians or, or family friends or people that, that are, provide, always provide good counsel for you like you have for Jerry? Sure. I mean, uh, I mean, comedi- the comedians that uh, I mean, there's so many comedians that I that I that I know over the years that I just feel like, I feel like there's like I feel like there's just a thing with comedians. It's just you know, I mean, you know, it's just one of those worlds where you walk in, like even people I don't know that well or they're new, you, they just say things and you go, yeah, they understand like uh, that the way of whatever that is, that mm-hmm. strange thing. You know what I mean? Sometimes they're full of hot air, though, and you have to oh, fuck yeah. tune them out. Are there? <laughs> has... but that's what I love about Tough Crowd too. Mm-hmm. We would fucking attack the shit out of each other if somebody was being uh, trying to be coy or trying to be like uh, pandering to the crowd. Like they would get fucking vilified, and that was what was great about us too. You know that they would attack me for being like that. Oh, they kept you on your toes, all right. Yes, they almost forgot that you were in charge. No, yeah, from day one. Those assholes never let me be in charge. But it was to our detriment. I think that if I had been in charge, it could have been a slightly better show when I look back on it. But you didn't, but maybe you didn't know you you wanted to be that benign dictator yet. I mean, I I Maybe you wanted to be a people pleaser. But you have to understand, it's fucking, just Patrice, forget about everybody else. Mm -hmm. Patrice is a fucking tidal wave Mm -hmm. juggernaut. Yeah. A guy, just trying He's to the get, elephant in the room. Yes. Trying to fucking constrain him took all my physical and mental it took so much out of me every mm-hmm. every show. It was so it was so hard. Do you do you consider yourself a people pleaser? Um I don't know, maybe. I mean I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. But I mean that's not why I let Patrice get away with that. I let him get away with that because he was uh he was a. Um, he'd be talking, and I'd be like, "I'm going to shut this idiot up in two seconds." Everybody's fucking disgusted with his 
domination, and then he just take it to a different route. And I go, I just want to hear what he has to say, right? Because this is going to a different direction than I expected it. So I just want to hear the way he's going with this, and that's his whole thing. That was his whole with yeah. every audience. They'd be like, "This fucking guy, what's he say?" And he just go, uh, uh, "Yeah." <laughs> And then he'd suddenly go down this route, and you're like, I just have to go down this road and see where this fucking guy's going. And then suddenly he'd make sense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and even if you did, it always went somewhere. You know, he was always, it's, and it's almost like, was he planning to go somewhere? It was, it reminded me of, uh, like, Socrates or one of these fucking guys, you know, like, one of these, like, philosophers would be, like, talking, like, did he plan that? Right. Does he think this routine out? Or is he just working off the top of his head? <laughs> and I mean, he, or is he just ad libbing his way there? Yeah, is he just ad libbing till he finds it? And it seemed like he was ad libbing till he finds it. Hmm. But it was very interesting to watch. Yeah. So sometimes I'd be in the middle of my show and I'd be like, "What the fuck? I just let this goddamn idiot dominate the show again." <laughs> and he did it all the time, but I couldn't help it. Has there been anyone recently who's said something that's kind of? Open your eyes like that and made you rethink. There's so many people in comedy that do that. The question is, can you do that for more than 20 minutes? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I know I could watch any comedian go, Jesus, that's great. There's hundreds that I could watch and go, that's great. Right. But can you do it for more than 20? You know what I mean? Like, for 20 minutes, I could watch anybody and say, that's a great comedian. What about just in terms of uh, life advice, though? Has anybody said anything that's made you go, oh, I. That makes me rethink how I was operating on a daily basis. Um, not in not from comedy, other places. Okay, but, but I mean, uh, well, what did they say that that really struck a chord recently? Um, no, I mean it's just like what you just said at the mm-hmm. beginning of this is what it all comes down to to me: ego, ego, ego. That's a fucking thing, daily thing, e- ego. Like we talk about the world right. and ego, but it's for individuals too, ego. You know, like that's the biggest, that's why like, uh, that's, it's such a big thing. You always hear that in all these philosophies and Buddhism, death of the ego, death. but it's like, oh no, it's serious shit. You know what I mean? Right. How can you be the same person here in the upstairs lounge where there's six people versus downstairs with 60 people versus on Broadway with 600 people? Right. Can you be that same person? Yeah, but I mean, it's just in general. I mean, just in, uh, yeah, I mean, just in general, it's like trying to make that, uh, trying to keep it from becoming like, like you want to be the same. You want to cross over on both ways. So you don't want to just be, you don't want to be like too casual in real life if you don't feel that way either. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be too laid back. I want to be, you know what I mean? Like, you want to be. I don't know. It's it's hard it's hard for me to articulate, but it's- well, that's that's what I that's what I find myself, especially over the course of the last year, asking myself, as someone who's narrowed my focus from journalism to entertainment journalism to comedy journalism over these last several years. Right. Well, if the world's going to hell, what am I? What is my purpose now? Is it still to talk about comedians, or of course, or is there some other way for me to be part of the solution? But unless you, it's like I always say about like I mean, unless you're a a, a boxer or mm-hmm. a, or an NFL player, your anger is not going to do you any good. You know what I mean? So it's like your anger works. Whatever your whatever your thing is, you got to work the world through that angle. You know what I mean? Like right. you can't like 
Like, even though I would take the benign dictator job in a second, in a heartbeat, if I may say, and even though I think I'd be great at it, I, I, I don't realistically think, I mean, probably 1% of me mm-hmm. thinks there's an outside shot it could happen, but 99%, I'm just going to try to do comedy and be as much of what I think comedy should be as I can be, you know what I mean? Right. I'm, but I mean, uh, so because because uh, if I focused on, let's say I said I'm going to be uh, a political thinker, right. and I'm going to give you people my political my thought, I'd be mediocre at best because I haven't really studied. I'm not really in the system in that way. You know what I mean? Right. So my opinions that unless they're filtered through co- the prism of comedy, mm-hmm. so if I give you my political opinions filtered through funny comedy, then they'll be good. But if I give you my straight opinions and I start trying to lecture or preach to people, there's people that really know their shit called in politics right. that have studied all of it. And they know what they're talking about to a degree I never would. So if I, I, have to do, I have to filter everything through the prism of comedy for it to be good. And okay. if I try to step away from that, it's going to be mediocre. I could pull it off maybe, but it's not going to be good. Well, I was going to say, I mean, the New York mayoral election is this year are you kidding me it's this year yeah again de blasio is up for de blasio is up for re-election in 2017 so but i don't want to be the mayor i mean that's i mean that's too as a native new yorker though that's a place to be a a little too democratic for me but you're right i honestly start with new york city i feel like if everybody it's an island manhattan i feel feel like if everybody watched uh new york story Mm -hmm. i'd win if everybody in New York had to watch it right. as my campaign, maybe for all the debates, I'd just come out and do a routine from it. <laughs> right. Like, I work, I work in a routine. And every answer would be a five-minute chunk from the show. I'd be like, you know, Bill, you're half Italian, half German. It's funny. <laughs> Bill, your wife is black. You know, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> Bill, you live on 11th Street. You know, when I was growing up, and a lot of Puerto Ricans on 11th Street, and that's my only chance. But then I have to be mayor. I mean, I don't like democracy. I like I, I want to be a, a dictator for a reason. I don't want to be a elected official. We have to go out and be right. like, hey, folks, you know, what do you need? It's like, no, I'll tell you what you need. Here's what you need. You okay. Well, we have time to craft the, the signs. Because even the Constitution, when I started thinking about the Constitution more and more, mm-hmm. the Bill of Rights was the worst part of the Constitution. Well, that was the add-on. What's that? Well, the Bill of Rights was the add-on. Was when they, exactly. They're like, exactly. oh, we, we're we missing something. Let's Exactly. It was pandering. Yeah. People people wanted more. People always want more. <laughs> they're like, New York Story isn't enough. We need another special. What's the next hour of Colin Quinn? It's and so, so here you are. One guy on Twitter goes, are you going to do a part two? I was like, a part two. <laughs> and I was like, but then I start thinking in my head, speaking to the ego, I'm like, yeah, part two would be great. <laughs> <laughs> Since you guys can't see in the podcast, Sean literally almost doubled over of laughter. It's we true. My great part two. It's true. So I always ask uh, my guests that, you know, with all the accumulated knowledge and experience you have in the business, when some young upstart or even an old rookie, right. someone who just wants to get into comedy comes up to you and asks for advice, what's the first yeah. thing you tell them? I always tell them the same thing, which is, if you're not, uh, if you really want to be serious about it, you would listen to your tapes all the time. You'd listen to your, you'd record yourself all the time, 
and you'd listen to every recording and just sit there and take notes over it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, because that's that's the the that's the place where where it's so ugly. And I don't even do it as much as I used to. I mean, but I've been doing it. I've been I do it for a couple of years. It gets so much reality that you'll never get from being on stage. You'll never get it. Because people go, you got to be on stage all the time. you got to go on. It's like, yeah, 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 of course. But, and you got to write. And it's all true. Right. But listening to those fucking tapes gets so much of the fat. It just jumps you past all the things. Because when you're on stage, it happens all the time with comedians. I mean, guys have been doing it for 30 years, 25 years. And they'll be like, hmm. I listen to what I said. I, I wrote like, I on stage I had five great new jokes and I went up there and the audience was laughing and they go I listened to my set I had no great new jokes it was all just what I thought was great jokes but they were just in the moment kind of stuff and it's depressing but it's great because you do get new little moments yeah. or little windows you know what I mean like daylight windows well that's really a good reminder of of living in the truth because when you're on stage. You think you know what's happening. That's right. But then having a recording of yourself gets you that outside perspective to see it the way everybody else saw it. Uh, that's right. Or even the way you thought in the moment the crowd was la laughing. Right. And you were all high, but you're in a drugged moment. It's a drug <laughs> moment. So you're all like, ah. And it's a moment like somebody right. just happened to be doing something. You did a joke that seemed like it was about, let's say, uh, you know, it was about the election, but it was only in context of what had just happened on that stage that made it an opening. Right. So it's kind of, I always say, if you, I, I always tell comedians when it's starting out, if you want to save five years of bullshit, listen to your tapes every night. If you want to do an extra five years of stand-up, trying to figure out your jokes and all that shit, don't listen to your tapes. It saves years of bullshit. Well, I'm glad we recorded this, so. Me we, too. I can go back and listen and save myself a lot of bullshit yeah. for future episodes so thank Thanks. you so much Colin thank I really you. appreciate it great this episode of the comics comic presents last things first was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios the music by Camille Harris and Shockwave logo by Giggle Chick please check out my website thecomicscomic.com more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.